0: Hello and welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. Thanks for joining me. Today's cause for celebration as this is our 20th episode. Thanks to all those who've been regular viewers or listeners to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I enjoy bringing this to you. Australia desperately needs alternative media sources because we can no longer trust the mainstream media. I want to use this platform to talk to you about things the mainstream media won't. I want to give you a voice so that uh, as many people as possible are Uh, who are thinking the things that you and I are thinking uh, feel the confidence to say those things because I know many of us feel the pressure that we're not allowed to say certain things. If you like free speech, you've come to the right place. Now, coming up on today's show, I'll be interviewing my good friend, Dr. Mark Robinson, MP, uh, right here in the studio. Mark is the re-elected member for Oodgeroo in the Queensland Parliament. Uh, For those who don't know where Oodgeroo is, it's based on the beautiful... Bayside suburbs of Cleveland, Thornlands, uh, Ormiston, those areas uh, of uh, South East Brisbane. The election sadly was a bloodbath for the LNP as Anastasia Palaszczuk, the Premier, cruised back to power off the back of COVID. We'll look at some of the big issues coming up in this term of Parliament and what can be done as Mark and his colleagues face four long years on the opposition benches. Also, I'll be talking to Good Source contributor James McPherson about. Diversity in the ABC, the transgender murder epidemic, and black lives that should matter but sadly don't. We'll also talk about the US election and give you our thoughts on whether or not Donald Trump is history or not. But first, these are dark days. We can't dodge this fact. We can no longer avert our eyes. The defamation of socially conservative Australians and Christians has reached new heights. Persecution has comm- has commenced. Let me give you some examples. Victoria's pernicious premier Dan Andrews wants to jail anyone who prays for someone who requests prayer for unwanted same-sex attraction or gender confusion. This is all under the guise of so-called uh, gender conversion. Oh, sorry, conversion therapy legislation. Amnesty International, once a great champion of human rights. Uh, based on lies, is now decreeing that Christianity is harmful. Who would have ever thought that could happen? A couple have had their daughter forcibly removed from their care by the LGBTIQA plus gender police. Well, it was actually the police acting on behalf of the gender police. Now, these rainbow political activists are seeking a court order to pump this couple's child full of testosterone against her parents' wishes, so... This uh, girl can turn into a boy. This is part of the uh, gender agenda that's sweeping our society. Who would have ever thought in modern Australia that we would be starting another stolen generation, taking children against the wishes of their parents to serve some agenda. Now, a Perth couple uh, have been banned from adopting children because of their biblical beliefs about Christian morality. I've mentioned before in this program, Ballarat Christian College had to defend itself against legal action demanding it employ a staff member who disagreed with the parent community's beliefs on marriage. It won't be the last Christian school in the gun sights of the successor of the same-sex marriage movement, Equality Australia. Remember that organisation. I'm personally being sued by taxpayer-funded, anti-free speech, LGBTIQA plus drag queens who are demanding my silence. They're also demanding $20,000 off me. All of this is happening in defiance of the truths Australians used to take for granted. Sadly, these days, they are undefended truths, and that bothers me greatly. Christians and other socially conservative mainstream Australians are being slurred and presented as a danger to society. Apart from the Australian Christian lobbies, Martin Isles and One Nation leader, Mark Latham in New South Wales, there are virtually no leaders sustaining any sort of defense in the public square against the onslaught of lies. Pastors and political leaders everywhere should be raising the alarm about the Victorian conversion therapy bill. It should be a matter of prayer and action for every church in the nation. Queensland and the ACT already passed similar gay conversion therapy laws. The church here in Queensland was completely silent. There was hardly a whimper from the ACT churches. Parents and health professionals are now treated like criminals, while LGBTIQA activists are free to convert our children and ply them with harmful puberty blockers and hormones while conducting irreversible surgery on their breasts and genitalia. How did it come to this? Why did we allow rainbow activists to bully us into silence? The sustained silence of the church in the build-up to the 2017 marriage plebiscite is a large part of the answer. That was when we allowed a line to be crossed, a dam to be breached. Actually, that's not quite true. Our inability to meet the challenge of the 1960s sexual revolution, the harms of which have now spawned the hashtag MeTeam movement, is a big part of the problem. All Australians of goodwill should be pushing back on the rainbow political movement's manipulation of the law to strangulate free speech and to experiment on children. But, she'll be right is still the great Australian default. But she's not right. Christian people, who are the canaries in the coal mine of the rainbow left's newfound and brutish exercise of legal power, are being badly let down by pastors who do not seem to have a theology of political and cultural engagement. I'm sorry to be so critical of the church. I am a fan of the church. I love the church. I'm in church every Sunday. But we just can't keep playing Christian games in church, trying to get people to heaven when the radical activists are bringing hell to earth. This will all come as a, as a little bit strong and offensive to some people, but political church leaders need to speak up and to put what our Prime Minister Scott Morrison once called the gender whisperers back in their place. Apart from Martin Miles and Mark Latham, only the rainbow radical left is on the playing field. We can't sit back and let another generation be stolen from their parents. We can't sit back and let children be indoctrinated at school and in public libraries by LGBTIQA plus drag queens. We can't let them be given over to the experimental gender therapies. A day of reckoning is coming. In the meantime, activists are free to deceive and harm children while those who speak up are hauled before the courts. Australia is better than this. What would our diggers make of what is is becoming of the nation that they fought and died for? Where are our leaders? Where is courage? This last word may sound a little bit corny to some, but profound to those who understand the times. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Coming up next, I'll be speaking with my good friend, Dr. Mark Robinson, the recently re-elected member for Oodgeroo in the Queensland Parliament. Well, joining me now is Dr. Mark Robinson. He's the newly elected member for Oodgeroo. And uh, Mark's a good friend and a good friend of the Good Source and the program. Mark, welcome to the Lyle Shelton Show.
1: Oh, great to be here on your program, Lyle.
0: Mark, I really appreciate you coming in tonight and, and uh, having this chat uh, live, so to speak. You were re-elected. Um, you uh, in what was a you know, pretty disappointing election for the LNP this time yeah. round, and but you've come out um, with a four point five percent margin. You've got the biggest margin of any LNP member of Parliament of the Queensland Parliament. Uh, in the greater Brisbane area now you're a, you know, a, a proud Christian you're a, an amazing local member I had the privilege of watching you <laughs> firsthand you know all your local issues and, and obviously you're an incredible grassroots politician that's why you, you've been returned but you've never made any um, secret of the fact that you're a Christian you've stood up for the values over the years and yet there's this narrative that Christians and conservatives have to sort of hide their light under a, a bushel well, what, what's your thoughts about that and, and, and feel free to comment on the election too. Obviously,
1: congratulations. Sir. Oh well, well, thank you, Lyle. And it is a it's a pleasure to be on your show, and it's certainly a, a great honour to be re-elected uh, for a fifth term now yes. in the yes. Queensland mm-hmm. Parliament. And uh, that's uh, something that you, you know, as a member of Parliament, I'm very uh, beholden to and grateful. Uh, for the ev- everyday, uh, you know, Queenslanders who voted for me uh, uh, and supported me in the Cleveland area that I that I uh, live in, and, and ran again.
0: Amazing part of the world, beautiful. Uh, I you've got the most it, uh, pristine electorate in the country. Uh, the beautiful <laughs> bay. Uh, area North Stradbroke yes. Island,
1: um, it's paradise. Yes, it's uh, it's one of the few electorates that uh, doubles in size at uh, at uh, low tide. So it's a <laughs> but it's a beautiful part of Morton Bay and North Stradbroke Island, and uh, I consider myself very fortunate to have the opportunity to serve another term at the the uh, the, the uh, graces of the good people of the Cleveland area, and certainly as a praying Christian, I I believe that. Um, you know, God's favour and uh, mm. is an important part of that and your sense of destiny. And yeah. and uh, I, I guess if you keep chipping away at it and you keep um, serving, serving people, um, everyday normal people will vote for you. For you. I, I think that's, that's the story of my success. success.
0: They will, and um, and they've done that because you, you served them, as you said. And, and I had the privilege of seeing that firsthand, having done some part-time work in your office um, over a period of about 12 months, which I really appreciated <laughs> and, and enjoyed. And, they were um, great times. They were great times, and uh, you're a very good... Parliamentarian and a great local member, no, but you. but your your people um, they supported you, um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that some in politics and perhaps the received wisdom of some is that um, people of faith and of Christian faith um, and who stand up for human rights for the unborn and and for proper support for their mothers these, you know. Uh, litmus test issues i suppose or lightning rod issues in the eyes of some mm. were not at all a turn off to your constituent and haven't been over five elections that you've won
1: well look lyle i'm i'm told that people who are socially, socially conservative like like me are, are unelectable in uh, in yeah. greater yeah. city areas like, city like brisbane, brisbane uh, melbourne and sydney yet uh, uh, queenslanders, uh in brisbane continues to queenslanders you're
0: sitting, sitting there with the, the biggest margin in the
1: well, well, I, I think what, what it says is, is that if you, you work, work hard, hard and you, you represent people across a wide section of uh, lifestyle uh, uh, and you, you, make make you ensure that you, uh, you support, support people, people families, mm. uh, and uh, you uh, do everything you can for them, that people will reward you. And I think ultimately, apart from the fact that there are big statewide swings and factors and currents in, in any election that's different, Fundamentally, um, if if you do those things, people will stick by you, and I'm I'm um, you know very grateful for those opportunities to continue to serve. Now there was
0: a big swing against um, the LNP and towards Labor. It was a COVID election, I suppose, as I said in the introduction, Anastasia Palaszczuk you know, cruised back on the back of COVID, but um, you locally in the Cleveland area faced a particular challenge from what I would call the, the, the green left and it was almost like a carbon <laughs> copy campaign of that run by Zali Stegel and GetUp uh, against Tony Abbott in the seat of Warringah at the 2019 federal election. In this case um, it was a woman by the name of Claire Richardson, a local campaigning on environmental issues, had the same teal sort of aqua coloured t-shirts um, and, and very much the same campaign tactics. Uh, I I know that caused you a bit of concern when she came on the scene. What was it like to Mm. to, to fend off that challenge from the green left pretending not not to to be the the green green left?
1: Yeah, Yeah, look, I I think we've got a new uh, front in politics politics that's that's opened up since since the last last federal election. election. A new new strategy strategy being used by by, uh, green uh, activists. uh, And that is to pretend to be uh, liberal light Mm. or to pretend to be friends of the business community Uh, and uh, to run on that basis but actually really they're green Mm. Uh, and that uh, worked unfortunately in Warringah against uh, my good friend uh, Tony Abbott Uh, and on a smaller scale at a state election uh, the the media the ABC and the Guardian and others were writing me off.
0: They wrote you off didn't they? The the left-wing Guardian newspaper was taking an interest in a suburban state seat, it's extraordinary. Yeah,
1: well, I, I you know, could barely believe the hysteria around it that uh, friends and family of mine around other parts of Australia were hearing I was in the top 12 seats to watch in Queensland whereas a safe margin of around 7% is not normally the seats that you would uh, be focused on. It's the ones that are the real marginal ones that are likely to change hands. But they had created this lefty hysteria uh, that, uh, that I was uh, likely to lose the seat uh, yes there was a new challenge a new front I would say opened up different to just a normal green front that's that's clearly what it is and labeled that way uh, but something pretending to be something else i I'm very glad that the people of of Cleveland uh, district and uh, Ujuru electorate saw through that mm-hmm. but we we certainly had to take that seriously and you know uh, in politics you you can't always be assured that uh, things will go the direction you think they will so and really the money and resources behind that uh, were uh, out of ordinary
0: they were and I think it's as you said it's something to watch uh in the future uh they they had a real crack in, in Warringah they won there um, I guess for you to, to be put in the same category, uh, threat level to the green left as Tony Abbott I think speaks volumes of um, your effectiveness wow. and, and, and the fact that they'd go after someone like, like you, but it is something to watch. Now sadly the election didn't go the way of the LNP despite mm. you you know, seeing off that very strong challenge. Um, you're facing another four years of, of opposition. Um, it's been a long time between drinks for the LNP and I've lived most of my life in Queensland um, uh, I don't think any of my kids were alive the last time there was an LNP state government uh, here. Um, you know, sorry, that's not quite true. C- Campbell Newman was there for five minutes uh, and then Rob Borbage back in the 90s for five minutes. But um, prior to that, uh, there's, there's daylight. Um, it's been a long time.
1: Yeah, look, uh, the, the election as a whole across the state was you know, obviously disappointing for the Liberal National Party. We had higher hopes than that. Uh, it was a very difficult election to read because of the of the, um, the impact of COVID. Was
0: COVID
1: the only factor? Uh, no, no, and I, and I think any attempt to just hide behind that is, is not dealing with all of the realities. There's often many factors that feed into what happens statewide. There are regional factors. There's local f- factors. There's candidate factors, resourcing the factors. So, is not
0: cutting through in metropolitan Brisbane, is
1: it? I, I think we struggled this this election to cut through in city seats, uh, suburban. Uh, and inner city seats um, and the party uh, will do that analysis of that now uh, and try to understand why Uh, but there were many factors you you roll back to february this year um, january february uh, before covid came in i believe we were on the path to to win Uh, so certainly the covid was very unsettling i think the way that the premier took every opportunity with the oxygen she had the media she had uh, took advantage of it. I think, in one sense, very unfairly, um, cr- created a, a scare campaign around mm. it that scared a lot of seniors and vulnerable people. And I, I, I don't think that that's appropriate in modern politics. I think it was akin to the media scare it, federal it's campaign. There, has sort of, I mean, well, well, sadly, people seem to like being looked sa- after by big government. Sadly, it scared enough people mm. into changing their vote. Mm. Uh, clearly, early in the year they were voting LNP, and by the time we got to the election, they some of those people, enough, had changed their mind and they weren't.
0: Do you think... Um, we were talking about this off-air uh, before you came on. Um, we, we think back to the days where the the National Party, you know, was dominant in Queensland under the legendary Sir Joe Bjelke-Peterson. Uh, I don't believe he was corrupt at all, despite the narrative of the mainstream media. They've never um, proven any allegations of corruption. I've, I've known Lady Flo and, and members of his family, mm. wonderful people. But he was someone um, who, before... Donald Trump. He was he was a Trump-like figure but without the terrible character and barnacles, but just a straight shooter. And um, he didn't care what the ABC or, or the left thought. Um, he would tell the truth. He built I don't know how many coal-fired power stations now this was before climate change became a thing. Um, he built dams. <clears throat> he did what the state needed. He could see what needed to be done to develop and open up things. These days um, it seems like politicians on both sides are, are beholden to the, the green movement, they're fearful, they're tentative about doing anything. Do you think there's an appetite for leaders to actually lead and, and be willing to stare down um, the, the, the noise that comes from the, the left of, of the media and, and the left of politics?
1: Look, I think political leadership in, in these times is um, a very tricky business. I think being a leader that can cut through into, into multiple markets, different regions, cut through in the city, but then also in rural and regional areas is a, uh, probably a much more difficult task is with it, the media is it today.
0: Because the parties are overthinking it and there's too much um, you know, professional, sort of small target uh, approach to campaigning, where it's perhaps people are looking for, for leadership. And, and yeah, you're not going to you know, win everyone over, uh, but people will respect you whether they agree with you or disagree with you. And I think Joe had a lot of that respect. I think John Howard had that to a large degree. Certainly, Donald Trump. Uh, does um, but but those sort of leaders seem to be rare these days in modern politics?
1: Yeah, look, uh, I mean, people will discuss you know and, and and talk about what what makes a good political leader today. I mean, I look at people like Scott Morrison. I think he's an exceptional leader. I think he showed uh, during the federal election uh, when he was expected to lose and the and the media uh, and the polls were saying that he was in trouble. Uh, I think he he was a leader who cut through in different. Um, regions, different parts of Australia, different uh, to different families, different lifestyles, uh, but he held genuinely to his values and I think people marked him up for that. He didn't hide his Christian no, values and in fact the yeah. day that he allowed, I remember he allowed the cameras to come in to see him attending a, a Pentecostal church uh, service, I think some people might have said, oh that wasn't really a wise move. Yet I, I think that actually people saw but people judge you about whether you, you seem to be authentic yeah. and real and genuine to what they think you look like, and I think that part of authenticity uh, is really important in leadership today. I think people are being served more commonly, more more generally, um, more hollow shells uh, of people rather than real leaders who are who, who will be themselves and be genuine about their values. Mm. Politicians are being pushed into not talking about their values. And we're coming across as as far more hollow and shallow. Uh, And I think in my view, um, uh, Scott Morrison said, well, I am what I am. There's my wife, there's my kids, there's my church, there's my values. And and people judged him as the quiet Queenslanders, the quiet Australians judged him as real and genuine. I think that was part of his um, leadership. He was a holistic leader, not just uh, a narrow economic uh, narrative uh, with a a shallow nothing in in the middle. And I think people saw what he was and I think they liked what they saw.
0: I think that's true. And I think they're looking to see more of that. And um, I guess time will will tell as he goes on. And we certainly want him to become a successful leader. And it certainly appears that he is. He's done well through the COVID crisis as well. Um, David Crusofele, he's the new state leader of the LNP, uh, Deb Frecklington has stood down, Tim Mander, the deputy leader as well, uh, David Janetsky from my hometown of Toowoomba is the new deputy. Um, what's David Crucifeli like? You know him well and I've had the privilege of meeting him uh, through you, um, but you know, tell our viewers what, what sort of a leader can we expect David Crucifeli to be over the next four years and, and does he have what it takes to be the next Premier of Queensland?
1: Look, I, I think we start, and I've got to know David uh, over the years as colleagues together, and particularly the last two years, got to know him better in his front bench roles that he had in uh, tourism and environment, and that brought him into my area mm. uh, quite a lot. There's a, those areas, are, uh, portfolios are very important in my electorate. And uh, I got to see firsthand David in the way that he related to people, uh, the work in media that he did, the cut through that he got, And what I saw and what I see is someone who's a well-rounded leader. I think somebody who cuts through in both the city and in regional uh, Queensland, which is something that's really important. Uh, He was the deputy mayor and a councillor uh, in Townsville before being a member of state parliament in Townsville area. Uh, He's now based on the Gold Coast. Um, And uh, so he understands both city and regional life. And I think by not just visiting, but by living there, and you become part of the culture. I had thirteen years in Townsville as well, and understand North Queensland as well. I think because when you live amongst the people, you you have that uh, opportunity to really under, understand their culture. Um, I, I think David offers uh, a great prospect for the next election in two thousand and twenty-four for the Liberal National Party. He's uh, he's. Um, he's been different in the sense already as opposition leader he's just not there to oppose, he's saying we're not just going to come out and oppose he's come out and and saying where the government has done something well I'll give them credit, I'm not there to be Mr Negative, I will hold them to account um, but we will put forward our own positive agenda as he's already doing, uh, talking about the economy, talking about job creation uh, talking about this budget that's coming up this week that Mm -hmm. looks like being uh, a real fizzer for the government.
0: Well, it's, um, how can it be anything other? I mean, we have $100 billion worth of debt, um, uh, public service, it's out of yeah. control. Look, there's a lot of material well, for the l to work We, with we think the debt will even be higher. Wow. Uh,
1: and we think that tomorrow that will be revealed that it's worse uh, than what we've been told. Um, you know and uh, you know the unemployment probably, is worst in Queensland, the bankruptcy rate is worse.
0: I think of a similar magnitude to Victoria's with about t- twice the population down there so yeah. um, we're in deep trouble as a state aren't we?
1: Well we have got some really big challenges ahead and I think David has clearly said uh, the next four years we will hold the government to account, we won't be Mr Negatives mm. um, but we will then set forward, put forward a positive agenda of what mm what we will do uh, should we have be the opportunity to form government in 2024. The economy is going
0: to be a massive uh, problem obviously and uh, we've touched on that. Um, Social issues which I know I'm concerned about, you are and many of our audience and and I think more people should be concerned about these issues. That's why we have alternative media because it's not talked about like it should be. But the Premier... Became very emboldened in the election campaign, and she said that she was going to fast-track her euthanasia laws, so-called dying with dignity. It's really assisted suicide, essentially. Um, David Christofeli was asked about this uh, recently uh, in the media, and he said um, he would give all of his colleagues a a conscience vote. No, No surprises there. That's been standard LNP policy. But he also said that um, he wouldn't pass judgment on himself until he saw the legislation. Now, that assumes that you can actually get legislation for euthanasia. Uh, that is safe and that's not going to lead to um, uh, to uh, wrongful deaths, as it has in every other jurisdiction where, where this has been tried. I must admit, I was a bit disappointed to hear him say that. I don't think he'd mind me. I'd say that to him if I met him, and I've met him through you, obviously. He's a, he's a, he's a fine fellow. But... Um, That was a disappointment I suppose to see him say that and and I guess there's political imperatives and realities that he's trying to dance around there Hmm. and and not the least of which is it's popular in the community unfortunately.
1: Yeah, let let me start start, by saying one of the things I really like about what David is bringing forward, he's 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 talking about the economy and job creation. creation. He's He's also reshaped and put forward uh, under the banner of (laughs) integrity. The fact that governments should be should lead in a way, and an MP should, should act in a way that shows a high level of integrity. So, so he's, he's got, got a shadow minister for integrity, being Fiona Cecil, and under no, under, under that, that, that's, that, that, is, that, that looks at things like the Jackie Trads, who, uh, you know, while well, she wasn't found well, guilty of corruption, uh, was charged three, three times, and I think there's, there's a third case that's still being considered. considered. Um, but in terms of cutting corners and uh, shortcuts, uh, so government doing things in a way. He doesn't want to preempt legislation.
0: Yeah. That's where you're going with yeah. that.
1: Let, let, let me what come back specifically to that. I'm just what, what I'm first saying is that I like the way that he is bringing back to Queensland politics that integrity is important. In yeah. Yeah. How, how we handle social issues, how we handle the processes of government being done properly, being done in a way that um, people can trust behind the scenes that MPs are doing the right thing. I think he's trying to uh, flag that. He's, he's bringing that to the attention of the public and saying he will lead a different way. He will lead with a higher level of integrity than what they've got used to. Under that come some of the social banners, some, some of the social issues as well under all of that. So specifically in terms of, of, of euthanasia or vol- vol- volunteer assisted dying uh, legislation, let me first say I was very disappointed in the premium that all of the discussions that I was aware of and privy to and party to last year in terms of the inquiry, um, there was an expectation that Due process was com- was going to be committed to by the current government and by by the premier especially. Yeah,
0: although I think when she announced that she was going to hand it off to the Law Reform Commission, mm. who gave us the uh, abortion to birth yeah. legislation, I think no one had any confidence that uh, there was going to be any, any other outcome other than a predetermined outcome. And, yeah, and of course that's
1: sure. Been born out. But but the the very fact that with two weeks before an election on the you know, coming up on the October the thirty first that she then changed her position uh, after good faith uh, discussions that happened with all kinds of stakeholders uh, to then two weeks out suddenly lurch to the left and make an announcement that it would come in. She would support it and it would come in early, cutting a year's worth of discussion and stakeholder engagement to say the process was important. She just basically said, um, I think in the panic of an election campaign, uh thinking it would pick up votes for her to make a clear commitment in that direction uh, whilst assisted
0: dying euthanasia is is terrible public policy it it does lead to vulnerable people dying wrongfully being pressured into into deaths it um, leads to euthanasia for children as we're seeing now in um, the low countries in europe a whole range of things um and and of course it, it takes away funding from palliative care we know mm. it's very, very bad public policy, but sadly, it's popular public policy, even amongst a lot of conservative people, because people think somehow that you can't have a death with dignity um, yeah. uh, you know, without sure. the option of a lethal injection. And, um, and I think it's because of the paucity of our public discourse. People haven't heard mm. the counteract, which I know you're well versed in.
1: Well, it, Lyle, certainly on the issue of euthanasia, I've stood very clearly against it. For, stood very clearly against volunteer assisted the, the, dying. The
0: killer, I that's the wrong uh, phrase, but what, what are the, the key arguments that you think could persuade uh, our fellow Queenslanders to have another look at this?
1: Well, look, I, I think Queenslanders have not been told the truth and have not been given the details uh, around the danger of um, VAD or euthanasia legislation, which is a form of assisted suicide. So it's the medical profession assisting people to take their own life. Uh, people aren't aware that, that basically anywhere around the world where it's been introduced and we've been told it would, it would come in with very tight restrictions, that actually those safeguards have disappeared within a very, sh- within a very short period of time. Even, even if you were to say someone in good faith try to introduce something that would keep it very tight, it's blown out. It's, it's yeah. not just being terminally ill. Keep yeah, it. it's right. not just being people of a certain In intractable age.
0: Intractable pain, terminal it, illness, these goalposts... Mental the mental goals.
1: health, uh, yeah. quality of life based on someone else's determination about uh, that quality. Um, mental, mental health, there's mm-hmm. been um, uh, elder abuse that's yeah. been related to Big this. Mm-hmm. Um, suicide rates haven't come down where mm-hmm. they've said, well, this would bring... Mm-hmm suicide rates down and bad deaths down. So anywhere where it has been introduced, whether parts of um, Europe, Canada, uh, other parts of the world, it hasn't achieved the things nor brought the safeguards people said it would. It's resulted in people um, uh, involuntarily being euthanised, so not just voluntary, but it's turned into involuntary. Um, And uh, it's, it's something that happens where generally there's not uh, uh, sufficient investment in palliative yeah. care. So in Victoria palliative care, Victoria uh, said that there was some there were around about 10,000 deaths where uh, in Victoria where there was not uh, sufficient palliative care or no to negligible palliative care? The answer, in my view, is better care. Yeah. And that was and that's the LNP's policy. If I can say, Lyle, that is the LNP's policy by resolution of our state council, where hundreds of delegates come mm. together and we discuss at state convention, many more hundreds, uh, our policy is by vote of the LNP membership um, is that we would not support voluntary assisted dying legislation. So I think it's very important for every member of the LNP, every MP, Uh, that they consider what the party's position is. Because I think
0: a lot of people wouldn't know that that's the party's position. And again, because of the paucity of the public discourse. Mm. Um, This is going to be a huge issue. I think we're probably going to see a disappointing outcome. I mean, I don't like to be defeatist. I think we need to to fight it and we need to try and persuade our fellow Queenslanders and and the parliamentarians. But the reality is the numbers are, are against us in the parliament. There will be some from the LNP side who go and support Labor and the Greens, unfortunately. Um, and even if they didn't, uh, it's still uh, an issue that's probably going to be lost badly. And we're going to cross a terrible threshold uh, as a state um, sometime early in the
1: new year. It's certainly, certainly something both parties, major parties, major parties have said would be a conscience vote. vote. Life, Life and death matters in, matters in the LPR are a conscience vote. vote. Mm. Um, um, the, the question will be, be um, I, think I think on the, the ALP, ALP side, whether, whether those, those who do have concerns around, have concerns around voluntary, 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 voluntary assistance dying, dying or euthanasia Whether they'll be free in their conscience vote. And we We saw around around the abortion abortion, um, legislation that, um, sadly, sadly under Jackie Jackie Trad, Trad, when she was the Deputy Premier, that uh, we know know that that a lot lot of pressure was placed placed on um, Labor members and good good Labor Labor members. members. Some Some that that you would would probably have expected to have have voted against against that legislation legislation. didn't. And I don't want to judge them, but I'll simply say. I believe, I believe they will put, put on a lot of pressure about their future. future. I'll, 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 just, I'll, I'll just put it in those terms. And it showed that Labor doesn't really have a conscience vote. vote. I, I've, I've come, come to the view that a Labor Party conscience vote is meaningless. Vote. Uh, and and um, they have an, an opportunity now, those who don't support um, euthanasia legislation, legislation. They had an opportunity, opportunity to show, show that, that Labour still has a conscience. Well, Mark,
0: I'm not holding my breath, but um, well, I'm but, not either. But I think we do need to cam- and I don't, as I said, I don't want to be defeatist. We need to campaign hard. We need to try and use this as an opportunity to help people see that this is terrible public policy that we're doing a bad thing in the state. I want to move on. To, um, our time's getting away, but I want to move on to the issue of human rights for the unborn. And and you know, we've said this before on the show. Uh, you are admired rightly uh, for your stance on this and and your wife Julie as well, who has been a champion. Not only has she been a political warrior along with you, but she and and yourself have put your money where your mouth is in supporting uh, young women uh, with unsupported pregnancies, uh, priceless life, uh, etc. So it's not just the politics, it's the practical side. And you've helped drive really good pro-life policy through the LNP. You have exposed the horror of the abortion practices in this state uh, of, of uh, babies um, being born alive after botched abortions and, and left to die. Now, you recently got some figures out of the uh, health minister, I think uh, earlier this year, on that. Um, just tell us about that and, and, and what you can do to continue to bring this to the attention, I think, of people who, who don't know that this sort of atrocity is going on.
1: Yeah, most, uh, well, pretty much all Queenslanders, when they find out that there are babies that are born alive after failed abortions and just left to die, um, can't, can't believe, believe that, that that's happening, happening in, in, those, uh, in... Well, uh, one, one over one particular, particular period of time, time was there was 200, 200 over about that a 10 year period. Uh, um, 200, so 200, 200 babies, babies that, were that were born alive, alive um, and, and they, they are the Queensland, Queensland Health, Health, that is, that is Queensland, Queensland Health, Health data. data. Mm. That, that is. is um, unquestionable, it's, it's not a pro-life life interpretation, they, they are the facts, facts that came from uh, a Labor, Labor Health Minister. And I've, asked, uh, I've asked more than, my than one Labor Health Minister over the years that question, and so, and so there is some data, most of the data is kept secret, secret, in terms, terms of late-term term abortions, abortions and other, but, but we are getting more and more of that information out. And what it's showing is a picture of something that is absolutely Um it's barbaric, that Health, and, 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 and it's healthy, in a number of those cases, cases are healthy babies, babies um, born, um, born that, that, that would we be born, born, born or you know, that, that are with, with, with healthy, healthy mothers. So, People People say say that couldn't couldn't happen, happen. Uh, but it's it's happening happening up until until birth. There were cases in Victoria Victoria, up to 37 weeks that that we know of. Again, factual data. data. And we Um, know
0: when Victoria, which was the first state to legalise abortion to birth back in 2008, Queensland in 2018, Tasmania somewhere in between there, and New South Wales last year under a Liberal government, unfortunately, but we know that in um, those cases, uh, late-term abortions have actually risen. Um, it's the old dictum of public policy: the, the more you allow uh, through public policy, the more you get of that of, of that thing.
1: For, for sure, that the numbers have grown. People talk about whether rates are or not, but the numbers are getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's re- it's really important that um, uh, Queenslanders are aware of that. Mm-hmm. And that they tell their local members of parliament that it's not good enough.
0: So, in four years of, of opposition, um, you are limited in what you can do practically. But your role as an MP, you could potentially um, help, you know, by asking questions, continue to bring to the public's uh, uh, knowledge of, of the atrocity of babies born alive after die after, uh, and left to die. Um, another key aspect of uh, the abortion legislation is that there's no protection for women against coercion by men. Now, you and I have both met women and heard them speak at various pro-life functions often in tears about how uh, a man uh, pressured uh, them to have an abortion and I know that amendments to stop that were rejected when the Queensland legislation went through and also when the New South Wales legislation went through. This is how callous abortion ideology is by uh, by those who are proponents of it.
1: Well, you, you, it's true again, sadly, um, Lyle, that every, every week in, in Brisbane, Brisbane and, and in Queensland, um, young Queensland, um, young Queensland pregnant, pregnant mums are being forced into in unwanted abortions. abortions. They they are, uh, some of them are, them are in domestically violent situations. situations some, some where that domestic, domestic violence uh, takes a form of various forms of, forms of types, of types of and levels of, of coercion. coercion. From subtle, from subtle to, to uh, very, very to the, to the point, point where, where the, 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 the male, male partner is booking in, in the abortion and dropping and them there and, there and waiting for them and making sure it happens. Now, now that, that, that should not be allowed. That, that, is be allowed. That, is that is absolutely domestic violence and coercion and, what, what the and law law any definition.
0: Well, they're, they're silent on this. On this, this, this is, matter. It seems to me
1: that they and other groups that I won't particularly name that stand up for women in domestic violence uh, situations turn a blind eye, eye, eye to, to women who are, who are being forced, forced into abortions, abortions they don't want to have. Now, now we know, they happening because because we know, we know that they're happening because we know, know that counsellors and other support workers and social workers, and workers, social workers right at the coalface have, have women, women coming, coming to them post-abortive and, and telling them their, their stories. stories. It was, it was admitted, admitted to also as part of the, the an event event at the Queensland Parliament Parliament. was was admitted admitted to by abortion providers that domestic violence violence is occurring um, uh, and and that they're they're aware aware of it at the time when they advise for the women women to go ahead with the abortion. abortion. They're just just doing doing nothing about it and I believe that um, this whole whole area has has to have the spotlight on it and And people brought brought into account account for it. it. So So we have got opportunities coming up in the sense sense of domestic violence violence, legislation. uh, Uh, We'll come come back before before the Queensland parliament again. again. So So we'll we'll see see whether people people, uh, really uh, really are serious serious about about it it. or whether it's a political version of domestic violence.
0: One final issue to touch on, Mark, before we let you go. Um, This whole gender agenda. Um, Last year, um, the Minister for Child Protection, Yvette Darth, um, introduce compulsory gender-fluid indoctrination of children in all Queensland state schools. I mean, I've gone online, looked at the respectful, so-called respectful <coughs> relationship resources. Questions are asked of children, you know, um, uh, people are born, you know, male or female, true or false. Now, th- there's, there's one answer to that, and it's not, <laughs> it's not that, that gender is binary. Um, this is you know quite insidious stuff as I said in my editorial we, we've now seen a, a family have their child taken from them because yeah. they were seeking other an alternative professional approach to a, for a troubled child and yet um, uh, the rainbow gender police as I call them removed uh, that child 15 year old from their mum and dad a- and now they're seeking a court order to have that child plied with testosterone so that that a girl can become a boy. Um, this is the sort of stuff that's going on, and hardly anyone is speaking about it. Um, what what can be done to further, you know, highlight this? Because I, I just don't believe that mainstream Australians or mainstream Queenslanders buy this gender fluid nonsense, which is so harmful. Um, it's it's there's irreversible treatments that go with it. Um, the world's gone nuts. Well,
1: look, I, I think coming back to something I said earlier about quiet Queenslanders or quiet Australians, I think. The average everyday uh, person believes that there's two genders, male and female. I think, I think that in cases, cases where uh, some, some transgender, transgender people um, go through, through a, a period of confusion, confusion uh, gender, gender confusion, confusion that what we we need need to do is is be aware aware of of the research that that, that says once they go through the the puberty and and go through through all of...
0: I think it becomes far
1: worse when you talk about things being done by force by authorities to children children against the will of Parents, I think that's that's, 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 that's very dangerous, dangerous ground to, to be on, and I, and think, the the reason, I think the research that believe shows.
0: children parents, I think,
1: think it's, it's very dangerous when you start overriding the authority of parents, and, and I think we are starting, starting to see a whole range of areas where parents are, where parents are, are being taken out, out of the equation. equation right? that's That's something that absolutely needs to be be addressed. And And I think think the research showing that children, when allowed to go, even though some may have some confusion in their teenage years, years, Mm -hmm. that that once they've gone gone through the process of of puberty and and, uh, the the hormones of of gone through, through the system, they understand, they understand who they are. In the majority of cases, vast majority at, at the end. end. So I, I think we have to be very, very careful when governments uh, allow medical authorities against the wishes of parents particularly to intervene, particularly to intervene at a very, very early, early time. So just the medical authorities, yeah. is the
0: education curriculum I'm telling them that and, gender is split from a very early and age? That's part You're in the it. Queensland education yeah. curriculum. Yeah. I, I think, think it's, it's very, very dangerous. Chris, do a state school, go to a Christian school, or a home school,
1: Very dangerous, very dangerous, uh, the flow-on effect of when we legislate and it shows the role of politicians, which is very important, that they might feel they're legislating for something and it flows on right through the education system and becomes what's taught as the norm as opposed to what's the exception and I think we have to be very, very careful in those areas.
0: So Mark, finally, um, and and your clarity in these issues is is so appreciated by people like myself and I know our, our audience. Uh, four years, long time in opposition. Um, how are you feeling about, you know, this is your fifth term in, in Parliament. You're one of the statesmen in the Parliament. Um, what, what do you feel you can achieve uh, in this time? And, and what, what do you sense that God's put on your heart for the next few years?
1: Well, well I've learnt whether, whether we're, an we're in opposition or in government I'll took to, to, to work to get all that I can for my, my local constituents. constituents. And, and that's, that's out of out of a, a sense of public service, service and serving them, them and trying... trying. So, so whether, whether, it's, whether I'm fighting a... a uh, a, a, a Labor government minister for something we should have or or pressing the case to one of our own ministers or at a federal level um, I'll keep working hard and fighting to um, get our fair share uh, when, when it comes to economy, jobs and opportunities uh, for, for people in my area. I think in terms of um, more broadly from, from a Christian, Christian perspective um, I, I think we, we it's, it's so, so important, important that things are, are done, done right, right. That, that, that we support the Judeo-Christian Christian values, that values that have made our nation great. great. I, I think, think we've we slipped from them. them. I, I think there, there are lobby groups, groups now that are not leaving Christian people alone. Once upon a time there were some assumptions and some givens. Sadly now there are those that have turned uh, lobby groups that have turned against Judeo-Christian values um, that are the centre of, of our multicultural nation that we are. And I believe they should stay the centre and we need to return back to those things that have made us great.
0: Very good. Well, Mark, we're glad your voice is in the Parliament. We wish you all the best over the next four years and we hope you'll come back and speak to us again sometime soon on The Lyle shop Show. look
1: forward to it, Lyle, and thanks for having me on your program today. Pleasure.
0: Thanks, Mark. Joining me now is a great friend of mine and a good friend of The Good Source, james mcpherson james welcome to the lyle shelton show
2: thanks for having me Lyle. first time on
0: your show it isn't you kindly had me on your show but i don't know whether it ever went to air
2: no i'm not sure if it ever did either so i'm not sure i i was very good in that program i so it must have been something you did
0: (laughs) that's true well i can guarantee this is going to go to air no matter how good you or i uh, but uh, seriously, James, I just wanted to have a bit of a segment on this show where I talk to some of the good source contributors, and you're one of the most prolific. Also, we've known each other for a few years now, and uh, I've come to greatly admire your writing and very much admire your tweets, which are legendary. And I uh, just say to my audience that everyone should follow James McPherson on Twitter every day.
2: I appreciate the plug.
0: Thank you. <laughs> that was a gratuitous. You better tell us your Twitter handle, James.
2: I think it's just James McPherson. M-A-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N.
0: There you go. James McPherson on Twitter. Are you on parlor as well, James? You know
2: what? I joined parlor, but I found the interface so um, yeah. difficult to use. I, I I joined, played around a little bit, and have never gone back.
0: Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. It's very clunky as a... As a platform, but uh, I think we've got to have it there as backup insurance for big tech.
2: Apparently, it's certainly going that way, isn't it?
0: It is. Now, the great thing about Australia, James, is that there are media outlets that give opportunities for incredible writers like yourself, The Good Source being one, The Spectator Australia being another. And I want to pick up on uh, three particular articles that you've written this week, which caught my eye. Uh, you've written one on the transgender uh, murder issue. or um, Just to unpack that, what motivated you to write that? Very controversial, I might add.
2: I was just reading the news of the day and I came across an ABC article uh, on the ABC website about Transgender uh, Day of Remembrance, which is an annual vigil to remember those who have been murdered Uh, because of hate towards transgendered people. And what caught my eye in the article was that uh, organisers of Sydney's Transgender Day of Remembrance were lamenting the fact that they only had two names that they could read out at the vigil, only two people who had been murdered because of transphobia um, in the past 10 or 20 years. And and so that caught my eye because it goes so counter to the narrative. If, If you'd asked me a week ago... How many transgendered people in Australia are murdered every year because of hate? I mean, I wouldn't have had a clue, but I, I would have guessed somewhere between maybe five every year to, I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. 50 a year. And I suspect if you asked most people to to guess at the number of homicides um, due to transphobia, they'd probably guess something in that range. So to learn that uh, there's only been two in the last couple of decades and that the Transgender Day of Remembrance organisers themselves were struggling to find people to remember, that, that really caught my attention.
0: It does seem very odd. And of course, none of us would want to see anyone murdered for any reason, let alone because they're struggling with their gender identity or have decided to change gender. We would only want to be respectful and um, sympathetic of, of people in, in that. But it doesn't seem to warrant uh, a transgender Remembrance Day. What, what do you think is the real agenda behind this? Well, what was
2: really interesting, Lyle, is that uh, not only did they not have many people who had actually been murdered to remember, but the response of the organisers of the vigil was very interesting. Um, I thought they would have been thrilled. This is good news, right? Um, there is not an epidemic of hate towards trans people. Uh, transgendered homicides are, are not happening. Um, mm. Two in a decade, is not an epidemic, it's, it's it's not even a pattern, and two names barely make a list. So you'd think that uh, transgendered activists would be thrilled, Australia is not the hate-filled nation that we've been led to believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was not the response. The response instead was uh, for organizers to go looking for uh, names of people who had been uh, killed as a result of transphobia, um, yeah. the thinking being surely there must be people who have been murdered and we're just not being told about them. And the article went on to explain how Dr Eloise Brooke from New South Wales Gender Centre spent uh, six months uh, scanning through records uh, to not find a single transgendered person murdered in Australia because of hate. Uh, She eventually found somewhere between 10 and 15 names from the late 70s and early 80s who might have been murdered because of transphobia and so those names have been promptly added to the list so they've got a few more names to read on the day of remembrance so i thought that was interesting and here's why this is important lyle for two reasons firstly uh, transgendered people we are told i have no reason to doubt it um, experience higher than normal rates of anxiety and stress so why would you um create a climate of fear for people who are already experiencing stress and anxiety, um, especially when there's no evidence that they need to be afraid. And the second thing I think is is relevant here is that we're often told we should be silent about our doubts or or our our, um, concerns regarding transgender ideology, because uh, you'll stir up um, transphobia and people will be killed if you stir up hate by talking about your concerns. Uh, regarding the transgender um, ideology, and and it's a very effective way of silencing people because, as you said, none of us want anybody to uh, be hurt, much less murdered, uh, because of any decision they make in life, and and so it's a very cynical ploy, playing on the 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 compassion of people not wanting anyone to be hurt, in order to keep those same people silent, um, regarding genuine and legitimate concerns about transgenderism.
0: Th- that's absolutely right James and you've hit the nail on the head this is not about some epidemic of, of murder and, and obviously two people being killed and if it is because they were transgender that's two, too many pe- two people too many. But um, you touched on it. Um, the, the, the suicide rate of people who have transitioned their gender, Uh, I remember quoting these figures on Q&A some years ago. Um, A a big Swedish study showed that the suicide rate was um, about 20 times higher than the non-transgendered population 10 years after transitioning. And uh, this is the real epidemic of death that the trans community don't want to acknowledge, but they want to cause the rest of us. To be quiet about it and not to express our doubts about children being indoctrinated at school through things like safe schools and respectful relationships
2: it's interesting isn't it the the mental health issues that plague transgendered people must be the result of them not being affirmed that that is the only option allowed and there is there is no discussion permitted about any other reason why transgendered people might experience high levels of, of mental health problems. And and that's a disservice to transgender people. Absolutely. Who, uh, yeah. We want to help and we care about. And and uh, many of us know transgender people that we're concerned about. But uh, it's it's wrong that no no answers are permitted except for one. And no, that's uh, right. it's, it's not healthy.
0: Well, and it's actually dangerous because we now, as we were discussing in the last segment with Dr. Mark Robinson, we now have an epidemic of children who are turning up at these gender clinics because they're being told from the earliest ages through the education system that gender is is fluid, they might be born in the wrong body. You also mentioned um, the the societal attitudes. That study I mentioned was from Sweden earlier and that was one of the most liberal, gay, trans-affirming societies on the planet. I think Australia's not far behind that and yet they want us to believe that we all have this hate and prejudice in their heart just because we are concerned about whether children should be inducted into this uh, ideology.
2: Yeah, e- exactly. And uh, look, we're living in a, a culture where there's a lot of invested in being a victim. And uh, a lot of people seem to have a reason to want to assume or imagine that everybody is against them. But as you say, um, there's probably no better country in the world to be LGBTQI than Australia. Um, so this idea that Australia is full of transphobes who the moment anyone expresses concern or doubt about the uh, transgender ideology, um, a mob is going to be stirred up to um, to rage against the nearest transgender yep. person. It's just, it's just not true.
0: It's a real problem. The other issue of identity politics that you've written about uh, this week, James, has to do with... Um, indigenous violence and uh, we keep hearing about Black Lives Matters. Our, our cricketers have supported the Black Lives Matters movement which is a radical Marxist movement out of America. They did this through a barefoot uh, circle ceremony ahead of the One Day International uh, on Friday. There's talk they're going to do it again at the test match but uh, you've written quite eloquently about the real issue of uh, violence in black communities, and it's not what we're made to think.
2: Well, it was interesting, the Diversity Council of Australia uh, tweeted during uh, last week that statistics show First Nations women experience higher rates of family violence, but this is due to uh, complex reasons stemming from uh, colonisation. Now, the first part of their tweet is absolutely correct. Uh, indigenous women do, tragically, experience much higher rates of domestic violence. In fact, um, one study I read, um, and, and numbers of studies support this, it's about 32 times more likely to experience domestic violence as an indigenous woman than as a non-indigenous. 32 times more likely to experience domestic violence. So, so the first part of the tweet was true, but the second part of the tweet saying that you know the issues are complex, but Captain Cook um, is, is not only quite funny that uh, the Diversity Council of Australia would imagine that problems being experienced by Indigenous men in 2020 are the fault of white men in, from 1788, but it's also just wrong because it, 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 it means that domestic violence will never be stopped if you continue to blame events from 200 years ago rather than encourage people to exercise responsibility today. Um, this is the racism of low expectations, where if an Indigenous man beats a woman, well, you know, there are historical reasons for him acting that way, and it's not his fault. Whereas if I beat my wife, um, you know what? Everybody believes I'm able to take responsibility. It's, it's the racism of low expectations, and it's outrageous that the Diversity Council of Australia would... Uh, Blame domestic violence on colonisation.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, this whole push to try and make us all feel like there's some inherent latent racism in our hearts that must somehow be atoned for through barefoot circles at the cricket. Uh, um, it, it's just counterproductive. It's not dealing with the real issues, which is the violence that's, that's in those communities.
2: It's a little bit of a case of um, never fix the patient, so you've always got a patient to fix. And, and I, I think this is often what happens, um, that there are symbolic things that are done. I mean, the Australian cricket team will stand in a circle barefoot um, to make not one scrap of difference to any Aboriginal life in Australia, and yet um, everyone will applaud and so isn't that wonderful. But what did it actually do? It, it did nothing but make uh, a bunch of cricketers uh, feel woke and, and feel, um, you know, uh, virtuous. Meanwhile, um, indigenous uh, lives and indigenous communities continue to suffer um, because we're not actually addressing uh, the issue.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, it's a real shame. Um, you talk about diversity and- the... Sorry, Sorry I'll
2: just, when I write about these things, my concern is not white people are being blamed um my concern is that indigenous lives and indigenous women continue to suffer because the real issue is not being addressed so i think it's important really well said we're not trying to defend white people um we're, we're trying to help indigenous people who are suffering and being abused by saying hey let's talk about what's actually happening and let's believe that people are able to be responsible for their own behaviour and let's encourage that. And we might change something. But standing around in a circle or lamenting uh, events from 200 years ago and, and and saying that, well, you know, Indigenous people aren't autonomous because, you know, of, of historical events, that that changes nothing. And that, that's why it's wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, look, none of us would want to uh, whitewash or, or sweep under the carpet injustices that did occur in the past uh, but I think similarly we've got to acknowledge that there are unjust aspects of Aboriginal culture and it, it, it was a violent culture prior to Captain Cook arriving uh, and sadly some of this violence in the culture has continued to this day and um, you know accusing white people of, of racism or, or making us feel guilty uh, doesn't help us do what we want to do and that is to see our, our Indigenous brothers and sisters do well and and to move out of um, these areas of poverty and disadvantage?
2: I, I'm not sure that any uh, woman who's a, a victim of domestic violence has been helped by renaming coon cheese no. or redskins or a bunch of cricketers standing in a circle. I, I would love to to hear of a woman whose life has been changed by those tokenistic gestures, um, but but a lot of woke people who felt very good about themselves. And, and, and that's disgusting, to be honest.
0: It is. And now, speaking of um, diversity, the other article you wrote this week was about diversity in our $1 billion a year taxpayer-funded ABC. Uh, I, I saw some of those news articles. Um, I think the, the gist of it was um, this, there might be diversity of gender and, and race in the ABC, and that's all wonderful but there's very little diversity in ideology.
2: Well, the former Race Discrimination Commissioner, uh, Tim sook
0: you, You've pulled that off very well, James. I didn't even want to try and pronounce his name. Well, he gets very
2: upset if you uh, mispronounce his name. That's actually uh, racism, he has said, because uh, you're not making an effort. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying very hard to not be racist by pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, but for the rest of the discussion, we'll just say Tim because it is a difficult name to <laughs> pronounce. But, uh, Tim has um, stepped away from being the uh, race discrimination commissioner and seems to be suffering some sort of relevance deprivation syndrome, much like Turnbull or Rudd. And so he, he tweeted uh, last week a photograph of white ABC presenters and wrote uh, above the photograph, a long way to go before we see diversity on screen. And, and I think he makes a good point. There, there'll be no diversity on the ABC until journalists of every shade are presenting news from a far left-leaning perspective. Um, it, it's difficult to defend the ABC against political bias when everybody is fair-skinned. Um, they they have as part of their charter uh, the necessity for balanced reporting. Uh, but how can you have balanced reporting when everybody is of European descent? Uh, it's important that... Australians get to um, hear views um, or have views from, from every side. So we need to be able to view Asians, view Islanders, um, view South Americans, view Africans, all saying the same left-wing uh, <laughs> things. And uh, so I, I think I think Tim Sucpon-Marsen would like the ABC to be like a packet of M&Ms. Um, lots of different colours, all the same flavour.
0: very well put James Uh, it's interesting Ida Butrow is the chairman of the ABC or chairwoman chairperson um, she gave a speech to the Ramsey Centre for Western Civilisation recently where she tried to say that the ABC is under attack from both the left and the right she said there's many left wing people who are critical of the ABC can you think of any James? well
2: actually on Twitter there's a lot of left wing people who are critical of the ABC (laughs)
0: that it's not left enough? (laughs)
1: Exactly,
2: exactly. Uh, As you say, I think it's far left people complaining that the ABC is only left rather than than far left. Um, But uh, anyway, Um, name one presenter on the ABC for me.
0: Sorry, what was that? Uh...
2: Name one conservative presenter on the ABC. Yeah,
0: there are none. Um, And the last that I knew of who, probably wouldn't call himself a conservative, was Chris Yorman, who's now gone to Channel 9. Yeah, so, Chris
2: Yorman is a great journalist. I, I love his, his writing. And yeah. he was a, a big loss for the ABC.
0: Yeah, he's someone of integrity who follows the evidence. And uh, I think we need more of that in journalism. But, James, um, just to close things off now, um, I, I can't go through an episode of The Lyle Shelton Show in these times without commenting on U.S. politics. I'm sure you're following the election over there. Um, President-elect Joe Biden, uh, looks like he's measuring up the curtains on the White House, Uh, but is he acting too soon? Well,
2: look, it it, it does interest me that uh, they do seem very keen on, uh, let's move forward, let's move forward, um, you know, there's never been a, a, um, a president-elect who has appeared uh, before inauguration with uh, signs behind him saying uh, the office of the president-elect. That's never happened before. So, so it does make you wonder, why is there this big rush to make it look like, you know, it's already happened? And, and the inauguration isn't until, I think it's January the 20th. That's right. But the, the media and the Democrats have got this full head of steam it almost makes you think that they're trying to create this environment where even if there are a few abnormalities a few issues of, of voter fraud a suspicion that maybe something went awry well it's kind of too late now because he's already in the White House and he's already getting on with business so so let's just move on and move on and, uh, and it does make you wonder
0: it, it, it does and um I must admit I'm very concerned. Um, in Wisconsin, there's a big issue with uh, mail-in ballots or absentee ballots that ha- have not been certified. The law of that state says that people must apply for a mail-in ballots, and yet uh, tens of thousands of mail-in ba- ballots came out that were not applied for. We've had the poll watchers issue in Pennsylvania where well over hundred or 600,000 votes uh, were counted uh, where the poll watchers were not allowed to scrutinise. Imagine if that happened in Australia. Uh, there's other irregular Ill- irregularity. Sorry, in um, Georgia, uh, Arizona, and Nevada. Uh, and there's there's this Dominion voting machine issues. Um, are these all just baseless conspiracy theories, James? Well,
2: well, if you listen to the media, Lyle, yes, they're baseless, um, baseless, baseless, baseless. How many times do the media have to repeat that word again? Mm-hmm. This, to me, is a clue that, that something smells. When the media are calling these claims baseless, having spent the better part of three years uh, saying Russian collusion, Russian collusion, Russian collusion, which, of course, turned out to be totally baseless, uh, yeah. and yet um, within five seconds of uh, allegations of voter fraud, the media said, oh, no, there's nothing to see here. It's all baseless. Clearly, There are issues that need to be investigated, and America, as a uh, wonderful democracy, has an appropriate way of investigating claims of voter fraud through the courts. Now, Donald Trump, as is his right, is um, going through the courts to uh, claim or make his claims, and he should be given the ability to do that without the media um, prejudicing uh, everybody's minds concerning those claims. I, I do not know how the media... Can use the adjective baseless uh, when these claims have yet to be tested in a court of law.
0: That, that's exactly right. It's it's just a truth deficit. Um, not not only have they making those baseless claims about base the allegations being baseless when they haven't even checked whether or not they are baseless. I'm trying to channel James McPherson there, but the, the demonisation of the key players in the Trump campaign. Take like for instance Mayor. Rudy Giuliani, who was the mayor of New York City during 9-11, he this is the guy who prosecuted the mafia bosses at uh, threat of his very life, he's a very substantial uh, American uh, hero, and yet um, all they do is worry about the hair dye running down his face, um, he held a press conference at a landscaping venue next to an adult entertainment store, so they go for all this sort of peripheral stuff, and yet... If you go to alternative media and actually listen to what he's saying or read the briefs that he's fired in court, you realise this man is a substantial figure. He's no dill, but he's being demonised and made to look like the village idiot. Um, This really disturbs me that the mainstream media make such a concerted effort to destroy the reputation of someone who is in good standing.
2: Lyle, I watched Channel 10 News, uh, much to my regret, um, and shame. So this is something of a confession. But I watched Channel 10 News and all I learned about that press conference, which went for about 90 minutes. This, this is the, the Giuliani press conference where he presented... The, the one presented. with City Powell. Yes. And and all I learned was that Rudy's hair dye ran. That was, yeah. that was all I learned. I, I had to go search for the press conference myself, find it online and listen to it to find out what was actually said. And when I listened to the entire press conference, I was astonished that uh, these claims have been made. If there's any truth to them, this is the biggest story of our lifetimes. And, and what really amazes me is that there's barely a journalist in America, let alone Australia, who, who demonstrates even the remotest curiosity about these claims. Now, now, i worked as a journalist, and every journalist dreams of breaking some big story uh, where you uh, uncover some uh, major scandal, and yet the incuriosity of the media um, is only slightly bigger than the allegations.
0: It's it's scandalous. I, I mean, these journalists are being spoon-fed information. Now, they can investigate it. They can dismiss it if they... Uh, think that there's nothing to it, but they won't even take a look at it. As you say, they are completely incurious. And I tell you what, for the first time in a long time, I've actually found myself getting quite angry because if this is the way the media are operating, then we're not being well served because a free society depends on a free and fearless press. And uh, all we've got is a propaganda machine.
2: Sadly, it feels that way. And uh, thank God... For um, our friend Dave Pello and Good Source, and and other alternative news organisations that allow a different perspective and uh, allow people to um, to get the facts that the mainstream media simply ignore. The classic example was the Hunter Biden laptop story, yeah. which the the which Twitter and Facebook they simply decided we we will not let people hear that story. That's incredible to me that big tech simply said, we don't want anybody hearing about that, so we will do everything we can to stop that news getting out. but the the thing that amazed me even more is that the rest of the media weren't all over that because they 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 should be thinking if if Twitter or Facebook will do this to the New York Post, um, Twitter and Facebook can do this to the Washington Times or to 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 any other um, media organisation. And yet, not only were they silent about the Hunter Biden laptop, but all the other news organisations were silent about the outrageous censoring of one of their own, the New York
0: Post. Absolutely, and what was even more outrageous was Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, turned up at a congressional hearing and uh, said he was wrong to have censored the, the Hunter Biden laptop story I mean, talk about manipulation of an election. Uh, he, he's admitting that he withheld and, and stopped crucial information that would have swung many, many votes and probably the election had it not been for his censorship. Uh, again, that's a big story which has passed with barely a murmur. It has,
2: but, but he does have a magnificent beard.
0: Very good. Well, James, uh, thank goodness for the good sources you said and for other alternative media and for people like yourself who are willing to put themselves out there in these alternative media spaces and also on social media. Uh, I think we're in a day where we've got to have more voices. We've got to certify our sanity, but it's going to be in alternative sources for a while until we uh, come to our senses as as a society again. So, James, thank you so much for being so generous with your time tonight on The Lyle Shelton Show.
2: Thanks for having me, Lyle. It's great to catch up.
0: Well, thanks so much for being with us on The Lyle Shelton Show this week. It's been a huge episode. I hope you've enjoyed the interview with uh, Dr. Mark Robinson, the discussion with James McPherson. Uh, Just a reminder about my book. So many of you have already purchased it. But if you haven't, it's called I Kid You Not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture War. Uh, It would make a great Christmas present for the thinking person who's got a bit of time to read over the holidays. Uh, I'd encourage you to grab a copy at lyleshelton.com.au. $35 includes postage and handling. And uh, this is a book which every Australian needs to read to understand what is going on behind the scenes in our politics, why we are getting such bad legislation, uh, why good people are not speaking up. I spill the beans Uh, you need to get. I kid you not, notes from 20 years in the trenches of the culture war to get the full story. Well, thanks again. It's uh, been an absolute privilege to have your company and to have you uh, with us on The Lyle Shelton Show. Don't forget to tune in next week as we wind down for the end of the year. Thanks for your company. God bless. The Lars Shelton Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Lars Shelton. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good, S-A-U-C-E
2: dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.